Ben, we got Todd on the line. What do you want to ask him? What would you say was key for you in bringing new people on and new investors on? So I think it's just really being open and putting yourself out there. You can't be afraid of you know what other people might think negatively, because I think most people don't think negatively about it. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Streamline Capital. Very excited for today's show. We've got another second time guest. I think the last four episodes I've recorded, they've all been second time guests, but we got Todd Dexheimer on the line with us and our aspiring investor this week, Ben Bozer. So guys, welcome to the show today. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Going to be a lot of fun. So Todd, you're up to bat first. For some reason, I love baseball references, but you're up to bat first. Do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm from uh, the Twin Cities, Minnesota. So born and raised, been here, been here my whole life. I was a high school teacher. So, you know, started out kind of the traditional route, like probably most of your listeners, right? Uh, I got that uh, first W-2, you know, worked, worked my way through college. And I wanted to be a teacher, wanted to change yeah. lives, wanted to uh, make an impact on uh, mm-hmm. on the youth. So that's what I did. And I was a industrial tech teacher. So I was teaching, you know, wood technology, teaching construction, automotive, that type of stuff yeah. to mostly high school, middle school students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it just didn't click for me. I, I think it was honestly, it was like three days in. I, you know, was at home and my wife comes home and uh, from work and I'm like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the, you know, when I grow up here and I got mm-hmm. to figure this out. Yeah. So, you know, started like just kind of figuring out, but do I want to go back to school? Do I want, I thought about becoming an architect. I thought at one time even become a doctor, but I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I had been reading these books as a substitute teacher for a while. And, and I was into that. And anyways, this is, this is kind of couple of years into, yeah. I, I taught for three full years before I really was like, I got to finally, I got to make this switch. And it was just through discovery and reading business books. And I think the book that really tipped me over the edge was the ABCs of real estate by Ken McElroy, but just discovering and going, man, this is what I want to do. I worked construction in the summers to pay, you know, cause teachers make 30 grand a year. So, you know, you're not making not a lot of money. Yeah. 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 So that I started buying real estate and buying what I could, buying single family homes. The first property I bought, I actually bought kind of three properties pretty much all at once. So I bought a uh, single family home that my wife and I used pretty much all of our money on. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we bought two single family homes that we used yep. all of our money. One was uh, an FHA 203K loan. So okay. we only had to put like five grand into it. Yeah, Another I got loan. one of those too. Great, yeah. great yep. loans. Big mm-hmm. If you're going to live and rehab, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that was a perfect loan. So that was a you know live in flip, mm-hmm. and then the next one was uh, was our first rental house, mm-hmm. and bought that. Like I said, pretty much used the rest of our money. Bless my wife for I don't know why she oh, trusted yeah. me, but 
man, I mean, what a saint uh, allowed us to use the rest of our savings. Mm -hmm. And then the last one that we bought ended up partnering with with the guy who had the money to do that. And so Mm -hmm. did all those. And really that just created that. That was the start of the snowball. It was addicted to it immediately. I Mm -hmm. love the deals. I love doing the deals. I love the idea of building something on my own of myself and uh, creating something bigger than really the teaching. Because I kind of realized early on that, yeah, teaching is definitely affecting some people, but it's very limited. And I thought, now this to me was a better way. So fast forward, did a bunch of fix and flips, did like a hundred of them, hundred plus of them, uh, owned a bunch of one to four families, ended up uh, getting a portfolio of about a hundred and then realized, mm-hmm. look, I can't scale this. So I started buying multifamily mm-hmm. and started buying hundred plus unit multifamily buildings, syndicate those you know, with investors. And yeah. that's really where I'm at today. Now we own a portfolio of about a half a billion dollars worth of mm-hmm. mostly multifamily, a couple, yeah. a couple retail and industrial and, and stuff like that. So yeah. built a small company looking to continue to grow it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. The, that's the cliff notes. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Love it. You know, and I I think a lot of people, they look at their job, they start flipping, whether it's accidental or, you know, intentional. I've had a lot of accidental flippers on the show too, you know, but intentional, accidental or intentional and realize that, oh my goodness, you know, I'm starting to make more money here than my teaching job. And my last year in the military, I was pretty high up on the rank structure. So making a decent salary, my last year in the Marine Corps, I made a lot more with real estate. And I was just like, dude, I got to, I got to get out of this thing, but love what you did there. And, you know, same progression that a lot of people hit is I built up myself a really nice portfolio of single family homes. How can I scale this? So love, I love that. Love that. Now partnered with a couple of people I know, I mean, assuming you're still within duress, correct? Yeah. Endures Capital. So it's myself my and my two business partners, Matt and Matt, Matt Bronner, Drew Whitson. All right. Awesome. Yeah. When I saw you guys came together and, and formed that company, you know, I was like, finally, you know, but I know you guys had known each other for quite a while and you yeah. guys were all in the Twin Cities area and all doing uh, different deals, but I was happy to see you guys come together for that. So anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about one of the properties, you know, pick your favorite one to highlight and let's, let's go into a little detail about it. Yeah, I'm going to pick one of the earlier properties, an 84 unit apartment building mm-hmm. that I bought and have since sold. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, bought that back yeah. in early part of 2017. Now, was that a syndication or did you you buy that outright? Nope, that was a syndication. Okay. I had to raise $960,000 for it. Okay. Now, was that your first one or? That was my first real syndication. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I I'd raised money through my flipping days. And it's funny how you said you know, accidental flipper. I yeah. I swore off flipping after my first flip, I made like $2,000 yeah. and I'm like, I'm yeah. never going to do this again. This, this yeah. sucks. And then I ran out of money quickly and I was like, I, I better start flipping flip again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was raising money for flips. I was raising money for, uh, the, you know, the rental portfolio to kind of get, get those started. Then I'd refi. And so honestly, I took, I went and talked to all the investors that had had been with me. And I said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to come along for the ride? And all of them said, yeah, let's do it. That was most of my capital. And then a couple other, like just referrals and other people that I kind of met through the years was the 960. But man, it was really tough to raise that money. Yeah. And I, I think most people, and I mean, Ben hopefully will have his first under contract soon, but I think most people, when they get to that first raise, 
it ends up being a lot harder than most people expect. And mm-hmm. it, it yeah. definitely was for me. Our, our first raise, I wish I started in 17, but our first was in 19. And incidentally, we sold that deal yesterday and Drew was the KP on that one. So I got a pretty, pretty good relationship with him as well. But that was almost a $2 million raise. And oh my gosh, if that didn't take forever, you know, it was just yeah. all hands on deck for, you know, three straight months trying to, to get that in. But yeah, I, I made yeah. every mistake that you shouldn't do on yeah. a raise and just learning curves, right? Yep, it is. It is. So, well, how, how did that deal turn out? You said you came, came full cycle on it already. It was a C-class mm-hmm. asset and I have since decided we're no longer buying C-class assets. We're all about location now. So yep. prior to the pandemic, I was starting to go, I don't know if I like C-class, I want to get out. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit and I saw that all of my rent was getting paid on time. Mm-hmm. on all of my B-class and A-class yeah. located properties. However, the C-class, not that we got crushed, we we definitely didn't, but my C-class had a lot more delinquencies on it. Mm-hmm. And you know the government did step in, so we got majority of that money, but yeah. it was really nerve-wracking on mm-hmm. those lower-class properties, knowing that yeah. who got laid off all of our residents got laid off. Like all of our residents were out of work. They were working at restaurants. They were working at, you know, that's who was getting laid off. And so yeah, it was just like this eye opener for me. But so it ended up selling it in uh, 2021. Did pretty well on it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I picked that property is because I think it's got the most amount of lessons Mm-hmm. along the way. So yeah. I think there's some fun stuff we can talk about, but yeah, did pretty well. I think we returned, uh, I think it was like a 16 IRR to our investors. So yeah. not a slam dunk, but a nice little deal. Yeah. I mean, going back to sports, you, you, you slam dunk. I mean, it's, I think I posted this on LinkedIn today, you know, or commented on LinkedIn today, you know, a lot of baseball games were won by singles and doubles. You don't, you don't yeah. have to have, you know, home run after home run after home run. And it's the same in this industry as well. I'm not a fan of C-class anymore either. C-class properties and C-class tenants come with C-class problems. Yep. And it's a lot of that. So you mentioned a lot of lessons learned. What was your biggest lesson learned on this property? There's a lot, but I think maybe the biggest is just your due diligence on the front end, that comes with a lot of different things. So it's the underwriting on the front end. And I would say I did a decent job there, but it's really get that property in a contract and you don't leave any stone unturned. You're really looking for problems. Due diligence is kind of depressing because that's what you're doing. You're looking for problems. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking to see like, what is wrong with this property? Is it fixable? Is it not? Is it so serious that like, holy cow, we shouldn't be doing this deal. Do we have to ask for concessions? I think one of the more dangerous things that Mm -hmm. this industry has been telling people is don't ever retrade. Now, I'm not a big proponent of retrading, but at the same time, you don't want to go through with a deal that has issues that you should either retrade or walk away from. Mm-hmm. And so many people have like beat that into people's heads that you can't walk away from deals. You can't retrade that. I think yeah. people end up buying deals that are too skinny after the, the end of the day, because they were, somebody beat that into their head saying, yeah. Oh, you'll never buy a deal again. If mm-hmm. end up doing that. And I think that's terrible advice. Again, I don't want to give advice to go ahead and do that, but you have to yeah. do it if you need to. And, yeah. and, that's what I didn't do. There was problems that I should have uncovered. For instance, I was buying this property 
from the owner, but the property manager I was planning on keeping. Mistake number one, I used that property manager for the due diligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were not being truthful in, yeah. in their inspections. They were hiding things. Mm-hmm. The roofs were all bad, all 100% of them. They yep. quote unquote inspected them and mm-hmm. said they're all good. Got a ladder on the day of my due diligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there a couple of days later and inspected them and yeah. took some pictures. Mm-hmm. And then we closed on the property and two days later, the roof was leaking. Yeah, Plumbing. I didn't do good plumbing inspections. Mm-hmm you know, things like that. So we had a lot of physical issues with the property that I should have uncovered. Ended up not using that property management company actually because they committed fraud during the process. Yeah. So they fraudulated the books, they cooked the books and we caught them doing that. Good reason to move property management companies right there. But uh, you bring up some good points, you know, with, with the no retrades and don't back out of deals. And in a way that's true. You want you want to maintain good relationships with brokers. Sure. And if you become that guy that keeps on backing out of deals, you know, the brokers are gonna like, yeah, this guy backs out of deals. Don't don't let him get it under contract. Yes. But retrades, my opinion on that, and you know, feel free to disagree. I think if it's something that's visible to the naked eye from street level view, that's where you don't retrade on anything. You know, you don't come to the table and say yeah, you should have seen it, you know, but if you go into due diligence and you uncover something, and this happened to us before where the owner said that the roofs were seven years old, and then we randomly pick a roofer to come out and do a roofing inspection. And the guy gets up on the roof with us and he's like, yeah, this isn't a seven-year-old roof. He's like, we did this roof. 14, 18, 20, you know, he gave me the timeline and he's like, this needs to be redone, you know? And so, so when you get information like that, I think that's, that's where retrades, you know, are, you need to retrade, you know, you really do, but yeah. yeah. And we had another property where it was, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. looks good from the surface. This wasn't exactly a retrade because we doing our first look after kind of getting under mm-hmm. LOI between PSA. But as you go there, the siding's bulged and you can push on the siding and moisture is coming out of the siding. Mm-hmm. It was old uh, old LP smart side, that big class action lawsuit against it back in the 80s. And we found that out and you know it was, it was like point of negotiations. I don't feel bad about something like that. Yeah. When yeah. you've got a $280,000 problem that we have to fix that, that you didn't disclose, I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I, I don't either. You know, I don't either. So we've done a couple of retrades and, you know, we just sold a property where somebody retraded on us and, you know, it happens, but you come back to the table, you renegotiate. If it's a deal killer for either the seller or the buyer, you walk away, you know, and that's, that's what the due diligence contingency period is for. So, well, cool. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about one of my favorite subjects and that's kind of motivation. So, you know, what is your big burning? Why? For me, it's about impact, right? Mm -hmm. It's about making and creating difference in, in the world really and but in my community you know just you know, people i know so you know i've got my own podcast pillars of wealth creation part of why i do that is i feel it creates impact everything i want to do and want to touch is is something that's going to create impact you know we do value add for our apartments because it creates impact it's providing a really nice place for people to live, safe, solid housing. You know, of course, there's the motivation of growing the business, right? Of course, there's a motivation of continuing, but by continuing to grow the business, by continuing to make money, I feel like we can make greater impact 
on the community and and on the people that we touch. So really it's about impact. And and for me, the biggest impact that I want to create is financial education to people that are underserved. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's truly going to change lives. When I first started this business, my first tenant mm-hmm. was uh, Fatima. And Fatima was on Section 8. Mm-hmm. And she comes to me and she said, you know, she wants to apply for my place. And before she applied, she said, when I get off Section 8, will you still rent to me? Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. You know, you qualify for sure. I'd, I'd rent yeah. to you. So good. Because my grandma was on Section 8. My mom's on Section 8. And now I'm on Section H. So mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to be yeah. on I Section H. I want to yeah. get off, and I don't want my kids to see me on Section Eight. And when mm-hmm. they get old enough, I don't want to see that, or I yeah. don't want them to see that. She had the right intention, but mm-hmm. as far as I know, the last I heard, she hasn't changed mm-hmm. because she didn't have the financial education. Because she didn't, you know, yeah. and it's really hard for people to get off of a government assistance. The government basically hamstrings you. Yeah. And uh, not, not, not trying to get political, but but that's just how yeah, it, it is. Yeah. And so that was a big motivator for me to see that and go, man, yeah. I would love to help Fatima out and yeah. be able to give her the help she needs. It's not the money. She doesn't need money. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't need clothing. She doesn't need all that kind of stuff. She needs, she yeah. needs what's up here, right? She needs that financial mm-hmm. education. She needs, yeah. the, she needs the mindset. She needs to understand how to get to a place where she can make her own money. And with parents and grandparents that were all Section 8 tenants, she she never learned that from, from her parents. Well, cool. Well, last question for you, and that's what's next? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, what's <laughs> what's next? Yeah. Growth and and challenge. You know, that that's what's next. I mean, we're looking to grow. We're looking to continue to, to improve. I'm yep. always looking for the next challenge. I'm always looking to stretch myself to take risks to, yep. to uh, face my fears. So that's what's next. I'm hoping Enduris grows and continues to mm-hmm. prosper. I mean, we've got a $10 billion goal, but it's not really about the money. It's about the journey. It's about the growth. It's about the, you know, about making impact, like I said earlier. I love it. Not about the money. It's about the growth. I'm, I'm probably going to use that someday. Not about Steal the it. money. Yeah, I'm I'm writing it down right now. But uh, you know, that said, thanks for sharing, Ben. You've been waiting very patiently. So, real quick, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, good man. Really, really good. So, um, excited to have you on the podcast. We've been trying to do this for quite a while now, but uh, finally made it work. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, first, let me take a minute and thank Todd. I know he's a super busy guy judging off his socials and Instagram and everything. So I appreciate him being on here. But uh, as far as me, yeah, you know, like Todd, I'm a Midwest guy. So Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Northern Illinois. Didn't venture much further out of that. Went down to school in Missouri and played Mm -hmm. baseball down there in college. So I really appreciate and I'm a fan of the baseball metaphor. So keep those coming if you want. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. Keep striking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's Kind of got what most people don't, you know, piggybacking mm-hmm. off what Taz said with the financial education. Surprisingly enough, in the public school system, I was introduced to the stock market. So I remember being a kid in, had it been middle school age, yeah. uh, you know, we were given $100 of Monopoly money and said, look through the papers at that time, like dating yeah. myself a little bit, look through the old school newspapers and look at the tickers and everything. <laughs> uh, and that was right when cell phones were getting big. So mm-hmm. all my monopoly money went right to Nokia or Samsung or what have you. And yeah. the the downside was when I cashed out and made that money, one, I thought, hey, that's kind of neat. I had 
X amount yeah. and now I've got substantially bigger and I had yeah. shares of a company, everything, but I couldn't buy anything, you know, unless right. it was park place or boardwalk or any of the railroads, I wasn't buying anything with that monopoly money. So, <laughs> uh, that kind of sparked my interest in investing. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. after getting out of college, I did what most people do. I went out and got a job and mm -hmm. in that job, a lot of work, worked a lot mm -hmm. of holidays, missed a lot of holidays, missed a lot of birthdays, uh, which was all fine when I was young, but yeah. I went and got married, uh, had a young son. So he's six now going on seven. And all of a sudden that working holidays, working birthdays doesn't you know sit too yeah. well with me. So, yeah. and by chance or fate or divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, it, within the same week, I was approached by one of my coworkers about, hey, you know, there's this thing multifamily. And I knew she'd been successful in, in mm -hmm. single families and everything. So I knew she she knew what she was doing, her and her husband. Um, and then a little bit later, I, you know, I turned her down saying, nah, I don't have time for that. I barely have enough time as it is. So one of my other coworkers recommended a book and like many people that come on this podcast, it was yeah. rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki. So, you know, after reading that book kind of went, gosh, one, I wish I would have had this 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. then two, you know, no better time. The only better time than is now. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Took that coworker up on that offer, and away we go on that journey. Nice, nice. And I assume your coworkers, you know, Ryan and Sean. Yes, Ryan and Sean. Awesome. Give them a shout out because they are hardworking people. Awesome, awesome. Well, I think you introduced me to them, so appreciate yeah. the, the intro. And they they are great people, so I love it. Well, you know something something you said when when I was young, I had two kids, and I I think I rationalized, you know, being away. You know, this this is what adults do. This is what we do. Yeah. This is what I have to do to earn a living. But man, I wish I I wish I wouldn't have. But uh, you know, that said, let's we already kind of broached the subject. So what is your why? Yeah, and like you said, we we broached yeah. the subject, and I know you know right where I'm coming from with mm -hmm. the military time away and everything, yeah. but it just got to a point, you know, there was some some personal things that came with my personal life where really you kind of look at everything and go, is this what it's meant mm -hmm. to be? You know, if I were to leave this world tomorrow, not to get, you know, philosophical, but if I were to leave this world tomorrow is what I've done and the impact to go back to Todd is the impact I've done on my family enough. And to me, that answer was no. Yeah. So, you know, with the family being the big why is, is that really drives it? I want that time freedom. And I don't, you know, I don't think we're here to work 80 hours a week, come home, mm -hmm. do what you can in the two days you have off, or I'm sorry, 40 hours a week, do what you have yeah. in the two days you have off. And go right back to it the next week. I think there's something more to that. So the power that, you know, multifamily investment gives you is really the driving force there. There is more. So, well, awesome. Well, some people are working 80 hours a week. Some people yeah, are. Hey, that's true. Yeah. Hey, I've been there. I've been yeah. there. You know, and, and the nice part about this job is if if you have to work 80 hours one week, I mean, you do it, but right. you can schedule your time around anything exactly. else. You know, you can still go to the baseball games. You can still exactly. go to the swim meets. You can still go to the, you know, gymnastics practices, but uh um, yeah. So anyway, we're going to do our best we can in the next 20 or so minutes to, to give you all the help we can. So Ben, we got Todd on the line. What do you want to ask him? So Todd, everybody's got their starting point and everything. And I know you touched on your first one being a smaller one and it had been a huge plus to you to bring a lot of those investors over. But once you started getting the next deal and the next deal, what would you say was key for you in bringing new people on and new investors on, you know, and shaking that quote unquote, that new kids on the block stigma that comes along with a lot of it? A couple things. First of all, you got to tell people about what you're doing. 
that was something that I was nervous about doing because honestly, before I started this business, people would ask me like, what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I'm in real estate. Oh, you're a realtor? Yeah, sure. Because I didn't want to, like, I felt like I was almost bragging to people about it. You have to tell people what you do. And here's my thought now is... I'm never asking somebody for money. Like you can't, you're not asking, you're providing an opportunity and you're providing an opportunity to people, to people who want to take advantage of that opportunity. But if you're not talking about it, if you're not telling people about it, not spreading the word about it, how do they know that it's even an opportunity? They, they don't. And so think about this. Think of it as your, maybe your brother, maybe your uncle, maybe, maybe a cousin of yours. And they come to you five years after you've been doing this business and you made people a bunch of money, you know, you, you doubled people's money, you exited the deal, they got into the next deal, you doubled their money again. And all of a sudden they approach you and go, Hey, you know, our cousin Frank told me that he invested in one of your deals and he turned a hundred grand into 400 grand. Uh-huh. Like, why didn't you tell me about this? What? I, I thought, I thought you liked me. I thought we were friends. Like, Oh, sorry. I was too embarrassed to say something to you. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do you mean? You're embarrassed. You're embarrassed to make yeah. me money. Like, so I think a lot of people have that mindset block where they're like, they don't want to be salesy pitchy. They don't want to be the, the think of the Amway, you know, person. Yeah. I did my first deal. And once we closed on it, I wrote a blog article. I talked about it on my podcast. I went on other people's podcasts, talked about it. You know, I, I put it on LinkedIn. I put it on uh, bigger pockets. You know, I just was out there telling people what I did and it wasn't to brag about it. It was to educate about what I was doing, how I did it. I was trying to teach people how I did the first deal, trying to teach people the mistakes that I made, like what I learned, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just really being open and putting yourself out there. You can't be afraid of, you know, what other people might think negatively. Cause I think most people don't think negatively about it. You just think negatively. That's a good point. Tell people who you're close with and who are around every day. And that's something I didn't do at first. You know, I, I kind of put big X's in my mind over church and work. You know, I didn't want to peddle my wares there, but you know, word got out, you know, people started realizing what I was doing, especially when I started this podcast, you know, somebody walked into work one day, he's like, I heard you on a podcast, you know, and it was just like cats out of the bag. But I ended up getting people that worked with me to invest in deals, you know, and it was just I kind of had the attitude that they had to come to me. And when they come, came to me, I'd, I'd put them into stuff. But that's one thing that I, I kind of put X's over and I kind of wish I didn't. You know, I, I kind of wish that I, I would have been a little more open with with people and just telling them what you do. And I would say use every opportunity you have to tell people what you do. You know, like you show up to work on Monday morning, somebody's going to ask, how was your weekend? Tell them, oh, I looked at three multifamily properties, or maybe you go out of town one day to visit a property. You come back, somebody's going to ask, so how was your day off? Oh, it was awesome. I went out to, you know, Indiana and I, I walked this, you know, property and I think we're going to buy it, you know, just, just stuff yep. like that. So you use every opportunity you have to talk about it. How do you get over the new kids on the block thing? I mean, that that definitely is out there, but I think a lot of that is just your mindset. You're thinking small, right? You're thinking that you're all the new kid on the block. If you do one deal, you've done more than 95% of the population's ever done, yeah. right? One deal. Nobody buys a 20-unit apartment building, right? right? Now, everybody does if, it's, if that's your circle, mm-hmm. but in the real world, like that's just people that just don't do that. 
And so if you've bought a 10 unit, 20 unit, 30 unit, whatever apartment building, you are way farther than everybody else. And people dream about being a real estate investor. They just don't know mm -hmm. how, or they got some sort of limiting beliefs. They've got some sort of fear around it. So uh, just understand that you're not the new kid on the block, especially after you've done one deal. Love yeah, it. I think I, I like that. I like the way that you phrased, you know, you're, and I agree. It's it's not so much selling this to people, a quote unquote selling. There's obviously elements of sales, but you're, you're educating folks about it because not a lot of people know. And really you're yeah. just, trying to pair them up with the right investment. So I think yep. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And then going forward, you know, after that first, second, third, and you start to scale, what kind of tips do you have for scaling and specifically with yours, because you've been so successful and you've scaled at such a large size business is, is there anything you can point to that was that single catalyst, that single spark that really started rocketing everything forward? Or was it just kind of a culmination of years of hard work? Yeah. I don't know if that's one particular thing, at least for me. But as far as scaling goes, it starts with your mindset and allowing yourself to have paradigm shifts. Um, you know, we've right now we all have certain limiting beliefs. We have certain things that we think are possible. Mm -hmm. But being able to, to be courageous and step outside of those and to get outside of kind of those limiting beliefs and shift your paradigm is going to be probably maybe the single most important thing as you continue to grow and scale. Mm -hmm. Um, but beyond that, like more practical and tangible things, you know, build, building strong teams. Um, this is, this is not a do it by yourself business, even if you're the sole owner, which is fine. Um, but it, you're still going to have to have really strong teams. So you want to learn how to become an effective leader mm -hmm. and be able to lead teams, be able to lead people. Um, you know, we, we've got, We've got our asset manager. We've got our acquisitions manager. We got our, our investor relations, our you know bookkeeper, and so on. And so, be able to lead those people effectively. And that's not going to start day one, right? But mm -hmm. but what is going to start day one is there's going to be people that are going to be an integral part of your business. Yeah. Um, and so so that's important. Uh, and um, just taking those risks, just being able to push forward all the time, and 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 take take those big risks. Um, you know, uh, there, there's so there's many little things, right, that we can do to, to continue to scale. And I could give you a, a, a half an hour, 45 mm -hmm. minute speech on scaling, mm -hmm. but it really comes down to to who you know, mm -hmm. to who to you know how you who who you know and how you lead. Yeah, yeah. I you know I'm gonna, I'm going to go back to something Todd said earlier. You know, it's not about the money; it's about the growth. You know, how do you scale? You know, it's you, you got to grow is the answer, you know, and I, I'm referring back to like a, a T Harv Ecker book and quote that I, you know, read many, many years ago. So I'm probably butchering it, but you know, when you start out, you might be capable of solving, you know, what he calls, you know, like level four problems. And, you know, basically you, you grow and you get to the point to yeah. where you can graduate from solving, you know, level four problems to level seven problems. And, I mean, what, what Todd said about leadership is absolutely key. You know, when you when you're growing, um, when you start bringing in more assets, you're going to bring in more employees too. You know, at first it's going to be you know you and your partners who are you know hustling, but at some point, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But at some point, if you want to scale and get to that higher level, you're going to have to bring in an employee 
And, you know, it's about, it's about leadership then it's about growing your capabilities and it's about leading the teams. Awesome. So to build on top of that, then, and, and this doesn't, don't dime yourselves out or anything, doesn't need to be personal experience, but <laughs> what's, uh, what are some pitfalls or, you know, top pitfalls that you can say, Hey, mm-hmm. along this road, steer clear of these, because it's a common occurrence that's going to stagnate growth or even worse yet, reverse it. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think it's all personal. It's all d- depends on who you are as a person. So, so everybody's going to make different types of mistakes. And, but, but I think there's some, some common themes, especially with entrepreneurs, first of all, but I think this is so many entrepreneurs. When I talk to people on my podcast, when I talk yeah. to people at conferences, wherever is we have this kind of like, we, we want to do, we want to create, we want to do, we, we have all these ideas that pop in our head. And so we have what everybody calls the shiny object syndrome. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I th- the biggest thing is like, there's a million ways to make money in real estate. You can mm-hmm. make money doing a lot of different things, but just pick one, pick one and focus on it and do it. And that goes, even when I go into real estate, so if we're talking multifamily, okay, you picked multifamily, great. Right. You know, now it, pick the market that you're going to be in, pick the exact size of multifamily, pick the class of multifamily, you know? So, mm-hmm. so we're, we're not, I don't want you to go out and go, Hey, I'm going to buy a value add. I'm going to buy a new construction. Maybe I'm going to do some development. Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to buy in Chicago, but now oh, I'm going to buy in Milwaukee and I'm going to go yeah. buy in, in Cincinnati and I'm going to go buy in Dallas, or I'm going to go buy a C class and then an A class. And then, a, you know, it's like pick what you mm-hmm. pick your lane and do mm-hmm. it and focus on it because, it, yeah. but it's so easy to get this like, Oh, somebody's made money in self-storage. I'm going to go do self-storage. Oh, that's right. the next best thing. And I think we all have that to a degree. The other thing that I think myself and mm-hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to think they need to do it all themselves. Yeah. We're really good at things, right? And so <laughs> we have this control mentality where I've got to be in control of the situation mm-hmm. and I can't let somebody else have the control. And it's not even necessarily that I'm just this super controlling person, but it, but that's just what happens, right? You're just like, mm-hmm. no, I'm just going to go do it. I'm, oh, I'm going to do it. Ah, oh, it takes too much time to explain to somebody else and I can just do it, you know? And so be willing to give things up. And when we talk about scaling, that's a huge aspect of scaling. Be willing to give things up, create you know, systems and processes, create job descriptions so you can start giving things up to other people. And um, it's just going to help you grow, can help you scale a lot better. But that I've gotten in my own way so many times by both the shiny <laughs> object and it yeah. has. Right. Yeah. You know, and then I co-founded a company, we we bought a lot of properties, and then I left the company. And, you know, so w- without talking about, you know, throwing names out, we were going different directions, and we weren't communicating well. And I think that's really kind of, for me, was like the trigger was we weren't communicating, we weren't talking about it, we weren't, you know, people were making decisions, important decisions, without discussing, you know, and there were a lot of things that were were just done in that that manner. And it was, I think the the two biggest things that kind of led to me leaving the company was the communication wasn't there mm-hmm. and we were going different directions, you know. So when decisions were made about certain things and 
you know, informed later, it's like, no, that's totally not what I w- would want to do, you know? So we were going different directions and we weren't communicating. And I think if you really want something long-term, you got to make sure everybody's on the same page. Everybody's going the same direction and they want to go the same direction yep. and just make sure that, you know, you never stop communicating without getting too personal. You know, that, that is a very personal lesson learned. Well, for yeah, sure. I, I had a very similar situation. Yeah. You know, and so part of partnerships are hard. It just is. It, it, partnerships are hard. And I think one of the beautiful things about multifamily is you can, I think you can kind of do deals with each other and date each other, so mm-hmm. to speak. And that's what my current business partners and I did. We dated each other for several yeah. years before we before we started this business. And business yeah. is like a marriage. Yeah. So you want to make sure you guys have a lot of the same uh, values and goals and, and beliefs. And I think that really helps. Um, but, and again, you don't have to, be partners with anybody if you don't want to, but you, even though with the people that, you know, are your employees, all that kind of stuff, you communication and just mm-hmm. making sure the visions are aligned. Yeah. And Todd, you got a rock star team and you know that already, but, uh, so anyway, we are at a time. So one last question for each of you, Todd, you go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, so, you know, our website is endurusscapital.com, E-N-D-U-R-U-S dot uh, capital.com. And then my podcast, Pillars of Wealth Creation, of course, after they listen to this, uh, plug into Pillars of Wealth Creation, head on over there. And I'm on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn. Those are probably the two best ones to reach me. DM me though, because I don't like that. I yeah. don't accept friends yeah. unless they tell me. That. Unless they're friends. Yeah. Unless they tell <laughs> me like they heard me on a podcast or something. I'm really bad at that. So. <laughs> send me a message first. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you send me a friend request on on Facebook, it might sit a year before I see it. But yeah, uh, yeah. LinkedIn, I'm pretty good at that myself. But anyway, I'm a little um, bit better probably on LinkedIn too because it gives yeah. me at least a description of who you are a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you, you can look them up and yeah, I know that guy or I want to connect. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. The, probably the easiest way is uh, reach out on LinkedIn. You know, I'm mm-hmm. very active on there. So reach out there or then send me a direct email, ben at gtcapitalmgt.com right. or our website, which is just the ending to the email. So nice and easy. Capitalmgt.com. All right. And we'll put uh, all that stuff in the show notes, link to the podcast, websites, emails, all of it. So if you want to connect with either of these two, yeah, hit the show notes and tap or click your way out to them. So anyway, very much appreciate you guys coming on the show today. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Diary of Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.